Welcome to Point by Point, conversations, interviews, and legal commentary for today's business professionals. Brought to you by Waller. Welcome to Point by Point. This is your host, Morgan Ribeiro. On today's episode, I have asked my colleague, Judith Bird, who is the executive director of Waller's multidisciplinary healthcare department, to moderate our discussion, where we will be looking at CMS's Accelerated and Advanced Payment Program, which extended funds to healthcare providers during the COVID-19 pandemic. And quickly, these loans will need to start being repaid on August 1st. So this is a very timely issue, and I am excited to have Judith moderate today's discussion. Judith? Thank you, Morgan. Today, I'm joined by Denise Burke, a partner in Waller's Healthcare Compliance and Operations Group, who advises hospitals and other healthcare clients across the country, along with Jordan Shields, a managing director with Juniper Advisory, a Chicago-based firm focused on advising nonprofits and hospital health systems on strategic partnerships. Jordan and Denise, thank you both for joining us today. Thank you, Judith. Thank you. So our focus on this episode is about an extremely timely issue impacting healthcare providers. To set the stage, CMS's Accredited and Advanced Payment, AAP, program has been a lifeline for healthcare providers during the COVID-19 pandemic. The program, which historically supported hospitals during localized natural disasters, was dramatically expanded at the start of our current crisis to offer providers immediate cash infusion. Hospitals could receive six months of Medicare revenue as a loan, with critical access hospitals eligible for even more. Repayment of these loans begins in just a few days on August 1st. To kick things off, Denise, could you give us a quick overview of all the various types of relief funds that were made available to providers? Sure. The funds that we're talking about today were actually loans to providers in the Medicare Advanced Program. Uh, but since that time, Congress has appropriated over $100 billion to the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, Economic, and Securities Act, which we refer to as the CARES Act, an additional $75 billion through the payroll protection programs. Uh, out of that $100 billion, HHS allocated that into different tranches that we've been calling them. There there was a general distribution of $50 billion that originally went to Medicare providers. And then there was an additional $15 billion that was allocated to Medicaid and CHIP providers. And this, in the last couple of weeks, dentists were added to that tranche, even if they did not take Medicaid or CHIP money. And then they have what they call targeted allocations that went to specific areas. They did $12 billion to high-impact hospitals. They did $11 billion to rural health care providers, which assisted about 4,500 rural health care providers. There was $5 billion to skilled nursing facilities, $13 billion to safety net hospitals, and $500 million to tribal hospitals and clinics. So, you know, I'm not used to seeing this type of money run around. It seemed as if the government has been printing money at times. And to see $100 billion allocated and distributed with as little paperwork as we've seen has been certainly something unique in my career. But I do have to say that I, I never would have believed we could distribute money that quickly. So despite the challenges, and as most of you probably know, the constantly changing rules that have come with this money, I'm, I'm very happy that we were able to get money to providers as quickly as we have. Jordan, while CMS's accelerated and advanced payment program is designed to stabilize hospitals in the short term, COVID-19, we've come to realize, is not short-term disruptive. What is this Medicare repayment issue all about? 
Who took the funds and what is the repayment situation? The issue really stems from CMS wanting to respond as quickly as possible back in in mid-March when we remember things were just moving so incredibly quickly. And this was the the first relief that, that came out. And to get it to hospitals quickly, what they did was use an existing program. And the AAP program had been designed for natural disasters, really, hurricanes, earthquakes, as a way to get providers money very quickly when there were mostly collection uh, disruptions for those hospitals to, to allow them to bridge the period of the disaster. And the program is is designed for that. Uh, the hospitals can apply for 50% of their prior year's Medicare reimbursement. They have four months of grace period before the government begins re- recouping it from their then existing Medicare reimbursement. And that recoupment takes place over eight months. There are hardship exemptions. So if a hospital needs to delay their repayments beyond those eight months, they, they can apply for that. But there's a very onerous interest rate of 10 and a quarter percent associated with any funds that are are not repaid, not recouped during the eight-month period. The program works well in those situations, in, in hurricanes, in earthquakes that are finite. And, and things are, are back to normal at some point and the, the gap has been bridged. But a pandemic is very different than that. It's not a slowdown in, in collection. It's a disruption of the healthcare space, the provider space going forward. And the program just isn't designed for that. So one of the big issues is that we have uh, significant declines in forward-looking revenue and the ability for the hospital to repay the loan over um, over that period of decreased revenues going forward is very difficult. It's not that you get to the other end of the four months and things are back to normal. Uh, as we're seeing today, you get to the other end of the four months and you very way well may have another uh, non-essential services cut off. And across the board, we're seeing we're seeing revenue declines. And if we think back to 2008 and the recession, which we're, we're still we still don't know quite where we are as an economy, but uh, it seems likely that there is going to be some level of systemic recession for, for an undefined period. And if we think back to 2008, it took hospitals three years to get back to their pre-2008 revenues from, from that last recession. So we have a series of issues, none of which form to, to the fundamental sort of reasons that this program was designed to address. Yeah. Denise, you may want to jump in there. The repayment of pandemic-related loans beginning in August really a tipping point for some hospitals in already tenuous financial positions. Isn't that right? It could be a tipping point for some organizations. For most of the organizations that we work with, it's, it's not a hardship yet, and they're not planning on just writing a check back to CMS at the beginning. They are planning on keeping the money in the bank and using it as needed as the reimbursements are reduced going forward. But for some providers that were struggling before it started, they may end up in a problem when they have to pay this money back quickly. Additionally, we found out yesterday, uh, First Coast, the Medicare Part B, Medicare Administrative Contractor for Florida, announced that for the uh, Part B providers and the, the 
physicians, they will not be given a line-by-line remittance on these repayments, which will make it difficult for some physician groups to administer their, their personal productivity compensation plans. So as of yesterday, we had some physicians start thinking that they may want to just repay it in a lump sum if they don't need it so that it won't cause a hardship on them in their regular administration of those productivity plans. Sure. And I know hospital associations, including the Federation of American Hospitals, are pushing for relief on their AAP loans, recognizing the pressure payment will place on facilities struggling financial, clinical, and operational disruption amidst this ongoing uncertainty. There have been rumors for weeks that Congress might reverse the repayment of these funds. The uncertainty continues to persist, but what are the chances of that happening before August 1? Um, What are you hearing, Jordan? I think the chance of anything happening before August 1 is low. We, we don't know exactly uh, what's going to come through Congress, but a, another bill by, by August 1, another pandemic bill, not just for health care, is, is in question. The, the likelihood of some relief, I would put slightly higher. I, th- I think there's, there's a fairly good chance that that 10, 10 and a quarter percent interest rates on funds that haven't been repaid uh, by the end of the loan period, I think there's a, a a reasonable chance that that will be lowered. All of the providers that I talk to hope that there will be relief. I think in March when they um, when they took these loans, they they um, they had high hope, but it's. It's it's not clear to me that uh, that there will be uh, will be relief. Yeah, I agree with Jordan. I think that there will be relief at some point in the form of extending the amount of time that they have to repay the loans and possibly not offsetting it all at, at first. You know, when these were issued. We had no idea how long the pandemic would last. We still don't. But as it's happening, some of the repayments are coming due right about the time some of the hospitals are actually seeing an influx of patients, and that's likely to continue. So I do think that they will get some relief on the repayments. I think it's very unlikely that it will happen before August 1st. And if you think about those people that may want to repay in a lump sum so that the government does not start recouping, they need to do that in advance because the government's got to have time to process the paperwork. So if, you're, if they're not careful and they do it too close to the deadline, they will both pay the money back and recoupments will start, which would probably get worked out in the end, but it would be an administrative nightmare and not a place that you want to be from a financial position. So I think we're too late in the game to get too much relief before the recoupments could start. But I do think it will happen shortly after that. I do know that it's in some of the bills to work on the repayment timeline. I will say there's been a rumor out there that our government might just waive the payments and turn these loans into grants. I don't think that's going to happen at this point. When those rumors started, it was before the government distributed the $100 billion in relief. And that $100 billion has had some fairly tight terms and conditions tied to it and a pretty onerous application process. And so it just would seem inconsistent that they would forgive money on these loans without collecting the same type of debt and and getting the same types of terms and conditions. Jordan, Juniper Advisory has some extensive experience navigating liquidity challenges with 
your client. How does cash flow and liquidity look for different types of hostels across the country? And who's most at risk in this current environment? Just to be clear, everybody took these loans and it was the, the right thing to do in March, just given the uncertainty. So looking at who took loans doesn't give you a window into who's uh, most at risk right now. As Denise shared, there are very well capitalized systems that have this money in the bank. They're they're uh, sitting on it, and they're they're not going to have an issue. Uh, the, the hospitals that that had low days cash on hand and and weak margins going into the pandemic, though, are in a tough spot right now. The the other relief programs that uh, Denise described have been very helpful. They um, they help organizations bridge the non-essential services, just devastation to hospital financial operations. But now they're looking forward at a at a long road and they didn't have cash going in. Their balance sheets look better today because in large part, they have a, a very substantial loans, which can be 50% of the, the prior year's Medicare reimbursement sort of sitting there on their balance sheet. But unfortunately, that 50% is going to be recouped by the government over the next uh, year, unless over the next eight months, unless there's a change. So maybe maybe put another way, I, I think the guidance from the American Hospital Association this week puts it in perspective. They're, they're projecting that median operating margins could be negative 7% this year. And if we think about these struggling hospitals going in, they're going to be below that that negative 7%. They're, they're, they're going to have pretty significantly negative EBITDA. And they don't have a cash cushion to offset their revenues as the recoupment starts. And they're, they're facing a, a real cliff situation. So they're, they're very hopeful that there'll be uh, new grants. But the liquidity situation is going to be difficult for those, on average, rural facilities, on average, uh, standalone facilities in, in mid-sized markets. Is there any particular advice you would provide to hostel boards working through this? Yes, absolutely. There, there are really three things that, that I'm telling my boards right now. The, the first is to uh, step up the internal reporting. The finance committee should be looking at weekly liquidity report, particularly to use cash on hand and having their CFOs prepare for them very clear reports on what their burn rate is on, on that cash. Um, and we're, we're seeing some uh, some pretty big issues. And part of the, the value of those forecasts is that there's some big ins and outs uh, in, a, in the best year for hospitals. Income statements can be lumpy in the best of times and hospitals that, that haven't properly anticipated both those inflows and outflows are finding their days cash move dramatically and the finance committees of the board should be on top of that. The second is scenario planning. So management teams um, should be preparing regular updated uh, pro formas on various uh, scenarios for the board. So if Program X makes it through Congress, what will that mean to our financial operations and where will that position us? If we see revenue declines of 8%, 10%, 15% through the end of the year, what will that mean to our cash? And then the third 
is is really the most important and it's it's putting trip wires in place now so deciding as a board at what point at what what cash level is the organization comfortable and at what point do they need to take aggressive action to make sure they're prepared in in case their their cash continues to slip so it, th- this might be putting a, a tripwire in place where if cash gets below 100 days or they experience three months of consecutive losses, they will hire someone like Juniper or hire another advisor to take them to market and assess what their other alternatives are. Um, what you don't want to do, and the, the, the biggest risk here is sort of a boiling pot uh, issue where you're slowly week by week losing liquidity, uh, days catch are dropping, but it's a, a slow move and you're, you're hoping that operations turn around in a couple months and you start digging out. And what can happen there is that the organization just finds themselves in boiling water before they realize that, that it was too late to step out of the pot. Oh, I completely agree with Jordan. Uh, a lot of our rural hospitals receive the extra distributions. And in many of those places, they have not seen the virus surge, so they haven't had the extra expenses. And some of them didn't even have the de- decreased admissions that cause some of the losses from preserving PPE. So many of those facilities do have balance sheets that look better than they have in years. Yet the underlying issues that were causing their losses before the virus haven't changed. And it's really hard to talk about making a change or making a transition when your balance sheet looks that good. Yet it's so important. Many of these facilities have not had the financing to go out and get the expertise and to explore the options on ways that they can actually maintain services for their community into the future. And this actually may be an opportunity to do that if they will put the checks in place that Jordan's talking about and be proactive in realizing if there's a situation that's going to be a permanent situation and trying to make some changes. As hard as that is for people, the toughest situation we see is when a hospital sort of implodes quickly. And when that happens, the community loses all of its services. Even the doctors generally will you know, take a job in a, a different town that makes an offer. And so the people that can uh, assess early and see that that's going to happen, they have the opportunity to look for partners to save the hospital. If that can't happen, they can look for other sorts of services that could be preserved in the community. And they really do their community a great service by looking ahead, making a reasoned plan to preserve as many services for the community as you can. I mean, I think we can see from all the hospitals that have closed in this country in the last 10 years, the system is not just not set up for some of those independent hospitals to make it. And as difficult as that is to accept, particularly when your balance sheet looks really good, this may actually be the solution for some people. They have been given the money by the government that can help fund their transition. Finally, the pandemic is far from over and we don't have a crystal ball. But do you expect other kind of relief to funnel down to healthcare providers in the coming weeks? So what could that look like? 
Well, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I do think that Congress is going to provide additional relief. We all know they're talking about it right now. But right now, it seems like the priority is more getting money to state and local governments, uh, money for schools, money for additional testing and small businesses. Uh, While healthcare providers may get additional distributions in the future, I'm not sure that they are going to be the priority and what's being discussed right now. So I think we have to be prepared to just work within what's already occur. I'd like to thank you both for joining us today for this very informative and timely discussion and appreciate your time. Thank you both. Thank you for listening to this episode of Point by Point brought to you by Waller. Visit the news and insights section of our website to listen to more episodes, subscribe to the podcast, find show notes and more. 